and we're live. You're tuning to Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today, I have a very interesting guest in the studio with me. I have Ti Yun in the studio with me. So, I was introduced to Ti Yun via her Instagram profile. And I think you run, to me, a very interesting profile in the sea of profiles on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, Ti Yun, could you please introduce yourself to those who might not know you or might not know what you do? Yeah. So my name is Tirin. I run an Instagram account with the handle name at the Weird and Wild. And what I do is that I actually am an environmental studies graduate from NUS. And I created this Instagram to talk about what I learned in environmental studies to like a more mainstream audience. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I felt that... So I started this in 2018. Okay. So that was like three three years ago. Yeah. Because sustainability was just picking up. And I used the platform to talk about anything related to climate change, to sustainability, mm. but with a more local focus because I felt that, you know, if you Google sustainability, you're going to find some European or American mm. content. Yep. And not everything is applicable to a tropical or Southeast Asian context. So I mm. thought that there was a knowledge gap that was missing yep. that I wanted to fill. But I guess the difference in that, it's not just, uh, I mean, you can have posts where you write like text or whatever, yep. but I just do it slightly differently where I use graphics and illustrations. Yep. I'm not an illustrator by training, so I don't really know what I'm doing half <laughs> the time. But I, at the same time, I had a secondhand iPad that came in just as I was starting this and yep. I thought like, I love doodling. Why don't I do something that I like? Yeah. And I'm just surprised that people liked it too. Yeah. I, yeah. I find your post to be very, very quaint as the word. I wouldn't mm. have guessed that you were not an illustrator because I think there's a certain sense of appeal to it. Mm. So um, in one of your recent posts, um, so this this topic of the environment, I, yeah. I think it's very vast, but I would like to just start the conversation off with one of your recent posts, which mm. I found to be quite interesting. It said something along the lines of uh, you being an imperfect environmentalist. Mm. I, I found it to be particularly interesting because of the word imperfect in mm-hmm. front of it. So could you please explain to me... Uh, what went through your mind when, mm. when doing that particular post or even preparing for it? Okay. Why the term imperfect environmentalist? Okay, so I personally uh, identify as an environmentalist or even a climate activist for, for that matter. And I realized that a lot of people were very uncomfortable with identifying as an environmentalist. So mm. the month of April was earth month or whatever like whatever people want to use it right (laughs) yeah and there were a lot of things that were coming up to say like oh you know you should be doing this you should be using less plastic which all makes sense Mm. but then i saw someone post something that says i do not identify as an environmentalist this earth day do not call me that i'm Mm -hmm. just trying my best Mm -hmm. and to me trying your best technically does count as an environmentalist Mm. and if you were to make that divide between oh, I'm not doing the most that I can, hence I'm not. Yep. Then you alienate a lot of people from the conversation because now people are going to say like, oh, I care about climate change, but I'm not an environmentalist. Yep, yep, and I'm yep. like, why? Why don't you just <laughs> identify as an environmentalist who cares about mm. the state of the world? Mm. And it made me really think about why do people say that? Is there like shame, guilt mm. associated with it? And yep. What does that say about the term environmentalist? Like, does that make us extremist, purist yep. in that term? And I say that then that's what's going to shun everybody away from mm. conversations on climate change mm. because they think that I'm not an environmentalist, so I don't need to care. So it's not as binary as people think it yeah, is. Yeah, and I really didn't like that kind of delineation. Mm. And I thought like, okay, if I were to tell people that even for me as someone who publicly identifies as such, yep. 
I still use plastic. I yep. still eat meat because it's not my fault. It's mm -mm. really not my fault. Mm. So then that post went better than I expected. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect so many people to identify. Mm -mm. It was done out of angst. Angst? Yeah, it okay, was a lot okay. of angst because yeah. I was very upset. And I'm like, okay, then people seem to resonate with this very real emotion that as someone who is looked up to, I guess, in some sense, mm. as an environmentalist, yep. I'm telling you that I can't do many of the things that you are you are assumed to be an environmentalist. Yep. Yeah. So before we continue, could you uh, define what what is what is the term environmentalist in your mm. own opinion? Because that is that is not a word I'm familiar with. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I think environmentalists, I define it as to as somebody who cares about the, the state of the world, who cares about protecting the planet, about sustaining ourselves mm. in a more ecologically sensitive way. Mm. So as long as you care about what's happening to our planet or how the planet's warming or changes in climate affects the people, then yeah, that care is enough to identify yourself as an environmentalist. Yep. Yeah, it's almost like, I mean, like feminism, right? I know mm. feminist also has a very, it's a bit sensitive for some people to identify as such, but mm. if you care about gender equality, technically you're a feminist. So yeah. in that same line, if you care about the climate and the environment, you are an environmentalist. Gotcha. So yeah. going back to what you initially said about uh, how people like to draw lines in the sand, like if they feel like they're not doing too much, they are not an environmentalist. Mm. But by your definition, it seems like everyone should technically be environmentalist in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess we only have one planet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah essentially. <laughs> but 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 where is is it because of a conversation you have with people and you mm. feel like there was the uh, there was a bit of a misconception as to what the term environmentalist is because it is such a vast term and yeah. it's easy for people to to either misinterpret it mm. maybe perhaps from information they've read online or something they hear or maybe it's something they don't think about as much yeah i think it only became very apparent to me that it was something that people didn't identify with when i wanted to do a project where i worked with local artists yep. on developing like filters about climate change filters or, yeah like instagram filters instagram, instagram filters, filters. Gotcha, yes okay. yeah and i had some replies where some local artists were a bit uncomfortable saying that i no, they were saying like, oh i'm i'm not really an environmentalist like, i don't know enough or i still use plastic yep. hence i'm a bit scared to yep. to do something like yep. that and for me i I felt so like, oh my God, but you're doing such good work. I can tell that you care. Why is that stopping you from mm. wanting to talk about the issue? Mm. And to me, it was if that is what's stopping people from being more vocal about environmental issues, then you're going to have a very big group of people who are not going to speak up because they themselves feel like I'm not enough to be, to, mm. to, to, to like, be worthy of speaking up about the environment, right? Because there's that self-imposed guilt. Yeah. for still using plastic. Yep. So I thought that, that there needs to be more conversation of who. why are we saying who can or cannot speak mm -hmm. up? Because technically, everyone has the right to speak up as long as they care about it. So I didn't want people to be quiet about a certain issue just because they felt guilty about something. Yep. Yeah. But with regards to this particular sense of guilt or whatever it is that we can attribute, mm -hmm. I think it's quite interesting that even though the the greater picture it is for something good, but even though even within the the, the community there is uh, a sense of how, how would I put it? It's a very weird sense of uh, 
hierarchy. Is it hierarchy? <laughs> is hierarchy the word or shunning? It's like okay. like shunning of people, yeah. even though the 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 macro good is for 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 the good of the world. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also because it, when the environmental circle becomes exclusive and it is a issue that requires a mass yep. scale right, of yep. efforts. Yep. When you become exclusive, I feel like we sort of failed in trying to build a movement because then what's good about only a small group of people mm. being able to do something about it yep. if we're not trying to bring more and more people into the cause. So I yep. thought that you know having that conversation on imperfect environmentalists will tell you that it's okay. Anybody's allowed into this space mm. and maybe from there, we can have more people wanting to be part of you know, volunteering or doing all sorts of things. Mm. Yeah, ho- hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. So is it is it about, let us touch on that imp- imperfect environment a little bit further. Um, mm. Is it about not being too, how how would you define it? Because is it about not being too particular about the day-to-day, but being more uh, accepting of yourself? Because to say, uh, to, 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 to cut yourself out from, from using plastics and everything, it's, mm. Very difficult because it is the 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 commonplace thing to 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 use. Let's yeah. say you go and tap our food, or let's say the, the water bottle. There are plastics everywhere. Let's just talk about plastics. Yeah. It is everywhere. Yeah. It is part of the the pipeline of things. Yeah. So it's very difficult to to remove yourself or to it, it, it will seem as though as someone's alienating yourself from the, the the greater society. Yeah. So how how does one? Uh, Reconcile. <laughs> yeah, re- reconcile with, with these two realities. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's mainly because I can try very hard to, like you said, right, rid myself of certain plastic users. But if I were really buy like a bag of Kang Kong from the supermarket, it comes in a plastic bag. <laughs> and it's almost, I think it's to, to reconcile it is just to know that you are already trying your best in some circumstances. So like to tapau, you can sort of control that. But when you have to buy something from the supermarket, you can't control yep. the plastic that comes with it. Yep. And it's to recognize that it's not an excuse for you to say like, ayah, you know, <laughs> just because it's like that means I don't have to do anything. But yep. rather that there are systems that need changing. Yep. And to go about changing that system is not to not buy plastic, but it could be like writing to your representative, boycotting certain brands, or even just, you know, changing the way that you reuse some of the items that inevitably come with plastic yep. so it's about holding yourself accountable to a value to a belief and know that when you fail sometimes it's because the entire system the pipeline is built for you to fail it's not your mm, fault mm. and what we need to do is to change then that system mm. rather than guilt yourself to be like oh my god gotcha. I, I got this plastic you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think okay, it okay. happens a lot you know you individualize okay. a lot of the guilt yeah I'm getting a very strong religious vibes because <laughs> to this, I can take out the word environment or environmentalist and put it with like Christianity or something like that. Yeah, and it kind I, of fits <laughs> the, the tones. Yeah, because I think it's very ideological, right? These mm. are values and beliefs mm. that religions or certain movements yep. have. So I definitely see the the, 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 the parallels, really. Yeah, yes, correct. Okay, going back to uh, what you mentioned about studying this uh, bachelor's of environmental studies. Yeah. So... Um, I'm curious to know if you had any misconception with regards to the words environmentalist uh, before studying and even mm. in the process of it all the way to, to studying up the account. Did you have any misconceptions mm. of, of the word before? I think I always saw environmentalist as something of like a hobby, you know, you mm. just care about the issue. And I think that 
is in itself what it means, right? But I think after studying it, when I tell people that I'm an environmentalist, they will say like, oh, then this is your hobby, lah. you know, you're doing this out oh, of fun. Then I have to explain like, no, I'm actually technically trained yep. in the subject. I yep. have a degree in the, the subject. Not that you have to be, it's just that I do have some like scientific or technical background. Then I realized that, okay, without that context, people will think that, yeah, what do you know? Gotcha. You are, you okay, are just okay. studying this on your own. But yep. there's a difference when, I guess not just environmentalists, but environmental scientists that okay. differentiates the two. Yep. So I still hold that, you know, in the past and now, environmentalists are for people who care. But yep. if you're more technical, I guess scientists does work better to to inform people that this is someone with, with a bit of training. Mm. But technically, anybody can be an environmentalist. You can be a banker and be an environmentalist in that sense. So I think that nuance got, yeah, it, it appeared over time. Did that misconception or did that idea of it being a hobby, did it, uh, I won't say improve, but did it fade away as you pursued, as you continued through your studies? D- did it change along mm. the way? I think personally it didn't change because mm. I've always identified as an environmentalist, but mm. I notice how people treat me when I say that I'm an environmentalist. So I think that's the thing that I started to become more careful about mm. the the assumptions, the implications that come with the term is something that I had to work around. Mm. So like applying for certain jobs, they'll be like, are you a tree hugger because you say you're an environmentalist? Are you a tree hugger? Yeah, because then to, to somebody, environmentalist can mean like super extreme. Mm, mm, so mm. I don't think that changed about like how I feel about myself, but mm. I know how I need to now position myself with other people. What, what are some of the misconceptions you've heard? You said tree hugger. Yeah, tree yeah. hugger or like, you know, the consider me an extremist and they uh, associate me with like, you know, I'm vegetarian or vegan. Just by association of the word environment. Just by association of the word. Do you think it's out of, uh, okay, do you think it's out of, let's say, a a lack of information, um, ignorance, or what what, Mm. what do you think is is, is, uh, making them come to that particular conclusion? I think it's a bit of ignorance, but also just mainstream influence as to like what you're reading. You assume like people like Greta Thunberg, who Mm. is known for climate change, right? Then you assume her to be of a certain like radicalism that you now impose on Singaporean activists. Yeah. So it's a very all-encompassing term that Mm. has to be contextualized. But if you don't think about it further, you really wouldn't care much. Because it's easy to generate. Let's let's speak about Greta Thunberg, for example. She speaks out about uh, particular issues with regards Mm -hmm. to climate. But it's easy to to miscontextualize what she says. And even though someone might have never had a personal interaction with her, it's very easy to categorize her as, what you say, an extremist and stuff like that. Very interesting. You mentioned that you are an activist as well, an environment yeah. activist. Is there a particular... To, okay, to you, is there a particular difference in the word activism? Because activism mm. has several positive or even negative connotations to it. So where where does one draw the line with regards to just being uh, environmentalist and being conscious of the decisions mm. and an activist? I think for environmentalists, it's about care. I mean, I always define it as care. it's about care for the planet. Mm. And for activism... I don't know whether it's because of the word, like you have to be a bit more active. Like supercharged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where you sort of go beyond, mm, or at least be a bit more, yeah, just beyond your individual to rally people, yep. or rally community. doesn't have to be a lot of people, like mm. communities, mm. writing to, you know, taking the extra step to write to your representative. Yep. 
to me that is activism mm. where it's about going beyond going towards I guess a larger community effort to mm. do something about it yep. but activism comes with its associated like misconceptions yep. or just people's assumptions and mm. I don't think people realize there's like a spectrum of activism like there are some people who could be very active in organizing for like policy change or community building mm. but not on social media uh, yeah and then okay, like okay. for someone like me I'm more active talking about it on social media and yep. helping people like craft letters yep. so then but then there's other people who like you know take it to the streets yep. and like do protests yeah, and whatever protests. Yeah. and it's very different but if you assume everyone's doing like protests as long as you're an activist you're a protester right mm. then okay like I guess it's just a bad press around yep. activism yeah. and I am quite deliberate to call myself an activist just to show people that the way that I do it yep. is still activism but it's not what you might see on the splashed over like tabloids or the news. Yeah, so there's a hyper hyper sensationalization of let's say a particular mm. form of activism but yeah. you will consider what you are doing right now with regards to your Instagram page as a form of activism because you're informing people yeah. of the different topics that, that, that you are you're passionate about. Yeah, and I feel like once you mainstream or you take ownership of the term, hopefully more and more people will see it as, okay, yeah, there are different activists that mm. exist. Yeah, because I think people are also a bit afraid of calling themselves activists because of the associations that it comes with. But to me, it's, there's really nothing to be afraid of in the term in yep. itself. Yeah. So with regards to, let's say, these two terms, um, environmentalist and being an activist, do you think, mm. in a sense, it's about owning the words? Like It, it, mm. you, it appeals or it resonates to you that, in a sense, you don't really care much about what power people see you but you're just owning it in a sense because it sounds to me because we talk about uh, people are maybe a little bit guilty to call themselves environmentalists or maybe an activist because of certain perceptions that they are not worthy but mm. if you are if if the definition resonates with you from within mm. none of those things really matter as much yes you will still face problems and hiccups along the way but yeah you have a north star in a sense yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with that because I feel like, you know, some people may say, I can still do all these things and not label myself in a certain way, right? And I think that that's, that's totally fine, you know, but I really like those labels because they guide me on certain principles that mm. I put it out there. People know what I stand for. Yep. And I'm like, okay, then if you know what I stand for, the people that I'm engaging with either are going to be like opposing or, yep, yep. or with me. Yep. And then I can relate to you a lot easier if you know out front what I'm about. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I'm curious about your beginnings with regards to it. I w I'm very curious to know what is it about uh, the environment or the climate? What is it about those particular things that attracted you? That mm. why, why do you want to uh, devote a portion of your, your, your time, mm. perhaps in the future of your life, to, to, to pushing something that seems uh, like a really, really huge problem? Why 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 does it appeal to you? Ooh, okay, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Um I think it started with a love for animals gotcha. first. So okay. like as a kid, I really loved going to SPCA, just being around animals. My dream was to be like a zookeeper, which didn't come true because I I live in the east, so it's like very far oh, away Jesus. from Mandai. <laughs> gotcha. It's super freaking yep. far, yeah. Yep. But I really really liked reading about animals and there was a period of time where my parents forced me to read the newspapers to improve like my English. Fair enough. Yeah. So then I, I mean, I hated reading everything else and <laughs> I would go to the section that talked about and the animals or like conservation 
And you know, I had to read it every day. So like there were conservation news. There was a lot of deforestation for a mm. period of time because yep. there was haze, yep. which got me very interested to Google like what's all this about and what does that mean? Because they were like species are being lost. Yep. Like biodiversity yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, then I was like, oh my God, so sad. Then I think as I went along in like school, in, in geography, the links from like climate change to how it affects animals were very apparent yep. to me. Then you have like people, like animals choking on plastic. Then you have the whole plastics topic that yep. surrounds it. Yep. I think eventually you sort of grow like a liking or rather a sensitivity to, to climate and how it affects animals that I really loved. Yep. And then it just grew from that because I got more and more involved. Yep. It's almost like once you get in, you kind of stuck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, it's not okay. a bad thing, but yeah, yeah. your world then becomes very attuned to how it affects like biodiversity and animals. And it's very hard to, okay, like occupational hazard, like it's very hard to like go to a supermarket and not be thinking like, oh my God, plastic, oh my God, animals. Yep. Yeah, so... I sort of stumbled stumbled into it, but mm. I think once you fall in love with nature, it's hard to not stumble into it. La. I think sensitivity is a very interesting word because you're reading about these issues. It, it may be immediate, immediate meaning. It may be visible to you, but mm. sometimes these issues are uh, across a different time zone and you are mm. not um, uh, privy to, to feeling the effects. But... Do you think with regards to, because when, when, when speaking about climate change, when speaking about the environment, these mm. problems are really, really vast and massive. So much yeah. so that it may seem uh, insurmountable. So much so that if, wh where do you start? Yeah. And would you say that, the, how would you answer that question? If I want to ask you, how, how does one start being, uh, I guess, conscious or mm. even being uh, available to help uh, whatever thing, if they were unaware of uh, the, the issue or maybe not unaware but they were just not uh, inclined to do so because mm -hmm. it is so far removed from the, the average individual yeah I think I always tell people that you need to find an entry point that appeals to you because like I can be talking about plastic but if you really don't care it doesn't make a difference mm. and I've had friends who started off loving fashion and the whole world of fashion and design yep. and that was their entry point into climate change and the impacts of fashion on the environment yep. and i feel that once you gain that momentum it's it gets easier when you learn new things about water cotton agriculture yep. so even in terms of like art and media right um the creative side of things was something that I never saw relating to climate change. Like, how does the creative world interact with climate change? And then I started Googling, like, you know, resistant movements over the, like, all over the world using art to, yep. to raise awareness about yep. climate change, about, you know, certain, like, oil mining yep. or whatever. Yep. And I'm like, technically everything is connected. Like it's various counterculture movements. Yes, and stuff correct. Like that. Yeah. So then you just need to find the ones that you care about the most and make your way inside and just keep learning because it's huge. La. Like I don't claim to know everything, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'm committed to learning as much as I can. But the yeah. point, at least to me from an outsider uh, point of view, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem like the, the it doesn't seem like the point is to know everything. The point mm. is to actually have, and then I guess what you said, like an opening to yeah. just uh, be available and be open enough to learn, and mm. in time perhaps change your ways, and perhaps that would start a good spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know now a lot of artists are looking at NFTs and yep. non fungible tokens, yep. and I thought that. I, 
you know, this is going to be extremely environmentally like damaging in terms of the emissions. Mm. And that was my thinking. But then I started seeing like artists saying, this is really environmentally damaging, even though it's quite cool. Mm-mm. And I was like, oh, okay. They are engaging with this sustainability topic that I wouldn't expect them to. Yep. I'm like, okay, then that's a great entry point to, yep. to branch out. Yep. Yeah. So with regards to that surprise, um, do you think it's because... Uh, people right now because of the internet information is a lot more accessible thus if i have an interest in let's say the environment but perhaps i'm a little bit perhaps all my friends aren't i'm able to look up uh, information about it and connect with people online who have an interest and perhaps share uh information about it mm. do you think the the, the, the the internet and perhaps platforms such as social media uh, instagram and stuff like that do you think it has helped uh facilitate a very uh, facilitate a good exchange of ideas because you're, because you're talking to people uh, perhaps across the borders, across various uh, geographical locations and mm. it makes uh, talking about it a lot easier. I think that's a very good point in that internet and social media is great for information, right? But I think something that I realized was that when I cared about the environment like growing up, it was something that nobody wanted to talk about. No one thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. not even like, if you join a green club, it's like, okay, what are you doing? You know? What is a green yeah, club? Yeah, what is a green club? <laughs> are you just planting trees? <laughs> and it was never cool. But social media allows you, like if you follow the people who believe in the same things as you do and they're feeding you that kind of content, you also find a community that mm. can speak that language, yep. who cares at the same level and wouldn't think that you're lame for caring about mm-hmm. it because they also care about yep. it. So I think social media has that community building aspect where I feel like the followers that I do engage with are people who are saying, you know, people in my circles don't care, but I can talk to you about it. That's cool. Yeah. And I'm like, I can point you to other people who are talking about it. Yep. So community also allows you to stick with the topic a little bit more because mm. you are learning from each other. Mm. And you feel less alone, yep, yeah, yep. which I really like about social media. Yep. How how did you start um this, let's say this particular account? Mm-hmm. What 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 were the beginnings like? Uh so I used to post a lot of environmental stuff on my Facebook. Okay. And then a friend complained and was like, it's very messy. I want to find certain things, but you post all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> I can't find your environmental things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, can you start like a blog or something? And I hate writing. So okay. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll start an Instagram page, okay? And I did. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I really like using Instagram because it's compartmentalized into squares. Yep. And now there are so many features. Mm. Yeah, I knew some friends who were already doing it. So there were these people from Tinkat Heroes or Tinkat Singapore now who ran it or BYO Bottle SG who were also who was also like talking about her BYO like bring your own journey where she brings like her bottle and this other lady called Tapao Girl mm. where she really just documents her daily life. And I think once I found those people, I was like yeah, I can start. You're not alone. Yeah, I'm not yeah. alone. Yeah. This is not like a damn weird thing to yep, do. Yep, yep. So then I started it and I was like, there is community already. Mm. And it was just about building more of that. And I think more, many more popped up. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is great to see. Yeah. Yep. Were there any concerns or even obstacles in the beginning that uh, you might be uh, afraid to talk about? Uh, I think in the beginning, not really because it was out of fun. You didn't really expect this to go anywhere. But I think once people started sharing things that I was a bit afraid of, like, okay, what if... 
I mean, two things, right? Am I speaking to an echo chamber? Is this only going to be in circles where people care and not You're preaching to the choir, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. I mean, besides building community, which is mm. important. But the second thing was, are people going to start critiquing things that I say? Am I going to get things wrong? Mm. Because someone can share the stuff, but they might not be very happy about it. Mm, mm, mm. And, you know, will people perceive me in a certain way if I take a stand on, say, like, a carbon tax yep. or a plastic tax? Yep. Whatever stand that is. And then it becomes like, okay, this might not sit well with some people, but does that mean I don't say it or do yep. I say it? Yep. Yeah. So those came later when I started to build a following. So what, let, let's say if you do feel strongly, let's say about implementing like a plastic tax, mm. what would shift the needle in your head as to uh, saying that, hey, this is important to me. I would post it irregardless of how uh, my, my followers would feel. What, mm. what would make that shift in, in, in your head? I think once I'm able to really justify what I'm saying, so if I say like, I think uh, a certain initiative is very important, even though it's unpopular, I have to be, you know, there are 10 slides, right? My next nine slides better be able to be convincing enough yeah, yeah. or like, I'm able to dispel myths. I'm able to prevent misconception and just provide a stand that is very well supported to say, this is why I think so. You can disagree, yep. but this is going to be my justification. Yep. Rather than I post something and then people make their guesses on how I came to that conclusion. Yep. Yeah, okay, there are 10 slides. Huh? There's only so much you can do in 10 slides. <laughs> do, you, do you think your, your your experience with regards to this, this, the studies that you went through, do you think it helped mm. you indirectly into, mm. uh, how would I say it? Digesting and putting out the information in a very like tangible and understandable way. Mm. Do you think it helped you with that? I think it did because as someone who's not very scientifically inclined, like I'm more into social sciences, trying to understand science is a bit tough, especially if there are quantitative aspects. Mm. So in my head, it's always like, if I can't get it, how is someone else going to get it? And my litmus test is always my parents. Mm. If I can't explain it to my parents, I failed. Okay. Yeah. So I always run it by a few different people and say, okay, I finally understood this. Mm. If I say this, do you get it? And then they're like, no, I still don't understand how you got here, how you got there. Mm. Then I'm constantly trying to change my content to, okay, there are gaps to leading a person to yep. a certain conclusion. Yep. So my training taught me that even as someone who's, who is trained, I still don't get it. So your lay person needs to have further like digestion. Yep. And I just have to be very conscious to digest it further mm. afterwards. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, if it's like it's getting from like super hard to not so hard to mm. slightly less hard. Yep. Rather than <laughs> I'm not even planning to go on easy, it's just yeah. like slightly less hard. Yeah. And how do you go about uh selecting the the particular topics that uh appeals to you to and to make you even want to to talk about it mm. on, on your profile? I think it's a mix of personal interest and also mm. what's in the mainstream. Like now plastic bag mm. text is being is being talked about quite a bit. So then I would a bit bad to say I'm capitalizing <laughs> on the momentum, mm. but I think because it's so fresh in people's minds, it sticks better. Yep. Um, yeah, so a bit of like timing, a bit of interest, yep. or sometimes followers would suggest things to say, hey, I found this, can you tell me more about it? Mm. Then I'll take that on and say like, yeah, you know, I don't really care about whether it goes viral or whether it got many likes. Mm. As long as the resource exists on my page, I'm, I'm very happy already. Interesting. I find... Your your digestion on information as well as the the presentation to be the most interesting because Thank it you. is it is um 
it is appealing like like the way you have i think one of the most uh memorable one for me is the one with the birds mm. and it, it, it features a, a very very nice illustration of the birds and i think the next slide was i think you went to talk about uh the the different species and mm. how is it because of deforestation that you're mm. losing uh, certain things and that that sticks a lot more because topics like these are very information driven it's very information heavy in a sense but i think what you've done particularly well is to 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 digest it so much and to add your own little spin on it so that even a lay person like me can understand it. <laughs> even a person like me who who is is very ignorant about about mm. that whole thing we can understand because and it's and it's very colorful <laughs> so was it was it ever intentional to 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 craft the the, the entire presentation to be like mm. this to, to to be to be very open really yeah i personally really like color so i always follow like i mean tell your children is very colorful so <laughs> yes, I, we are very colorful <laughs> very colorful so i'm I, I mean, I saw it as someone who's a visual learner, right? Like, what would attract me to read something? It's not so much the content, it's the visual appeal first. And then if the visual appeal can lead you to information, like, yeah, fantastic lah, mm. yeah. And I was very sick of, you know, when you see environmental content, it's always like blue, green, white, black, yep. and very sanitized. Yep. And I'm like, that is so not exciting to read. I do not want to read a two-page report on like plastic <laughs> if it's just like that, right? Yep. So to me, the colors were intentional because I, I like it. Yep. Yeah. And I I started to realize the artistic appeal to information. It's about communications and it became very important as much as like, you know, talking about deforestation is very important. But if I can't get you at the start, I have lost. Mm. So design and visual appeal is something that I've been experimenting with. And I feel that local artists are like the best people to to be talking to about this because mm. you're the artist, you know? Because because going back to your original intent of how when you unravel or when you begin to look into different spheres, uh, art has always been used as a tool to, to speak out about certain things. And mm. do you feel like engaging the local artists in a way helps... I think it's very interesting because as I said before, um, the environment and talking about it, it's a very heavy subject. Yeah. But when when viewing your your particular slides on your Instagram, I think because of, of A, the colors and B, uh, I think I think the characters, I think it gives a very <laughs> like very interesting spin on it. Um is that but do you have a name for that for that cute little guy with the two eyes and stuff like that? No, not really. No? no, I just called it the blob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. but, is it, but but is is the blob supposed to to represent something? Yeah, I was actually inspired by the local cartoonist Sonny Liu mm. when he did the art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai, right? Mm. And I remember reading that when I was in like secondary school. Okay, because oh. my dad loved it, so he yeah. told me like you should you should it's check this out. It's a brilliant book. Yeah. yeah. And I feel that the thing that attracted me to it was the comic, the characters. And then it it's like, you know, you read the first few pages, you think it's like, oh, very nice, very interesting. But as you go deeper, you get stuck into the narrative, yep. the history. Yep. You unconsciously learn it without even realizing that you learned something. And I remember in a webinar, Sunny was like, he thinks that comics are seen as, you know, it's for children. You know, people assume that it's for children, but then that lowers your barrier to entry to engage with the content. Mm. And once you've lowered, you're more open to whatever that you're reading. Mm. So he says that technically it's a very psychological tool to say like using comics or like doodles. Yep. You prime the person to not be shut off whatever mm -hmm. you're going to learn. Mm -hmm. And I thought like that was such a brilliant way to explain like 
certain like stylistics yep. to say that there are psychological impacts to to what you're doing. And mm. if you can make this kind of content a bit cool, not too kiddie, <laughs> like adult graphic novels, yep. yeah, then you sort of can can make that into an advantage to talk about harder issues, deeper issues. Because it's easier to get across because the I always think of it as like uh, the comics as a medium is a very interesting form of getting like stories and ideas and narratives across. Yeah, yeah. And there was this quote that, I mean, I met this uh, US group that, that was very, they were very strong on like pushing environmental messages, but they had a very big artistic focus. Mm. And they said that what guided them was this quote said, that says, art makes a movement irresistible. And I was like, that's okay. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that sticks. Yeah. yeah. And I loved it. So in, in in viewing your profile and seeing how you engage with, I guess, people who comment, I noticed uh, people will ask you uh, more in depth about a certain post and you, you would reply. You, mm. you would talk to them and you have a meaningful discussion about that. Have you ever been overwhelmed with regards to the, the, the type of feedback or criticism uh, you, you have gotten before? Yeah, I remember when I was doing the Flights to Nowhere, I did a post on Flights to Nowhere. What, what is Flights to Nowhere? So I think this was at the height of COVID where all the, I think flights were cancelled and I think some aviation companies were trying this concept of Flights to Nowhere where you essentially fly to nowhere. So they fly up? Yeah, they fly up, circle a bit and then they come back down okay. as like a tourism attraction. Yep. And it's also just to keep revenues yep. going, right? Yep. And I remember doing a post about it and people were like hey, how dare you whack like an industry that's not doing so well? Because I talked about emissions and the post was essentially saying that, you know, there are other ways that you can be generating revenue without necessarily burning the jet fuel. Yep. And I had like a lot of comments saying, you know, why do you talk about aviation and not talk about cruises or like mm. hotels or mm. other things? Mm. And I got very overwhelmed because it made me feel like, Okay, there, there are a lot of problems, you know. I know, I know. Yeah. But I can't possibly like do a post. It's only on 10 everything. slides. Yeah, it's only 10 <laughs> slides. I can't cover everything. Yeah. And I also don't always have the domain knowledge or the kind of background to be talking about certain things. But yeah. just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean I don't care, you know. Yeah. So I feel that people see, I guess, activist pages or informational pages as like, oh my God, you better be like, on the ball about everything. Yeah. And they forget that they are like humans or like just singular human running this. And yep. like, I, I, I don't really know everything. You know, I can't talk about um, engineering or yep. things like that. Yep. So it gets overwhelming when I take that upon myself and be like, oh my God, is it my fault? Mm. But slowly you sort of realize you, you can't do it. It's impossible. So would you say it's been a learning experience? Like, uh, running this page for about three years and moving mm. forward. Has it been a learning experience for you? Yeah. What I didn't, have you learned? <laughs> the social media world is very scary. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think that people assume running social media is very easy. I, what assume? I, I don't know. I feel that people are saying, oh, you know, you just post on social media. Mainly, I think, if you're using it leisurely, mm. it sounds very easy. La. Post, don't post. It's up to you, yeah, right? Yeah. But if it's about information and things like that, people forget how much effort goes into looking at analytics mm. and designing contents. Like Instagram is one by one, but Instagram yep. stories is like yep, a whole yep. other dimension. Yep. So there has been a lot of learning la, that there are nuances where, you know, even learning like UI, UX on how people interact with Instagram stories. Yep. It's, it's fun. La, it's fun. 
And I I mean, I don't envy people who do it full-time. <laughs> like, big kudos to those yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. is, is, is running the wheel and the wall something you would like to do full-time? Or where where, where, where does that stand? Mm. Uh, let's say post-studies. Yeah. Where does that stand for you? Uh, It's something that I... I don't think I ever want to do it full-time because I feel like once I have to do it full-time, then money comes in and it gets very complicated mm. because right now, um, I do get a lot of different like corporate or like organizational requests yep. and some of them are a bit dodgy. La, like, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, a bit sketchy. Like they just want the promotion or mm. like an, an endorsement from a climate activist. Yep. And I feel like if I needed the money, it would be so hard to say no. But because I don't need that money to survive, I'm very able to say like, I'm sorry, I do not agree with this. Mm. It's a no. Yep. So doing it full-time has its difficulties because of, I mean, the material realities that you have to, I need something to pay my bills. La. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, people who have to do it, I completely do not blame them because it can be a very viable source of income. Mm. But if I had the choice, I would rather not. Interesting. And, yeah, and I think as a side hustle, you have less pressure in terms of like what kind of content because when you have to build a following, you tend to compromise on... You might have to compromise on certain things to get the likes and the views. Yep, yep. Yeah, and to me, not freeing myself from that kind of pain, it, it helps. So let's say we take the, 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 the commerce out of it. Do you feel... Because creators okay I, I would deem you as a creator mm. creators and their communities have a very interesting dynamic because um it is almost symbiotic in a sense because mm. a creator can create and attract a community that that, that that likes the creation but after a while because of the way uh things are set up today we've got to do the algorithms we've got to do these particular platforms mm. the creator might run into the trap of how to, 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 to pander more to the community to get more instant uh, satisfaction. Do yeah. you fear that particular reality moving forward? Because, yeah, do, do, mm. do you fear that? Yeah, I think it's very, it's hard not to look at the kind of like, I mean, quantitative like validation from likes, from reshares. Because yeah. the numbers are right there. You cannot run away from the number. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's like, you know, like you post something and it doesn't do as well as the others. You sort of wonder like, is that the right thing to post? Mm. But then there's a lot of self-reflection on like, I think it's important. It has to be out there whether people like it mm -hmm. or not. But it's a very conscious thing to be like, don't care, don't look at the numbers. <laughs> it's okay, you know, this yeah. might get like less than 100 likes, but you know that you wanted to post it. Yeah. So I feel like you just have to battle with that, that internally to say that, yeah, numbers don't matter sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes it matters. And it's okay as long as you feel happy with what you're, you're putting out there. But I think it's easier said than done. But that's the trap because if you are reminding yourself not to think about it, ten, nine times out of ten, you've yeah. already been thinking that's the trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like I have to put safeguards where like if I post something, don't look at it for the next like few hours. Oh. Go and live your life. Interesting. Like don't keep checking your phone. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. you tend to check it to see how well it's doing. Unfortunately, everything is on the phone these days. Even like yeah, communication, like correct. day to day, like maybe errand running and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I have to put like reminders to be like, okay, do not disturb this thing, this app for like a few hours yep. to take your mind off it. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Talking about uh the commerce side of things, I think perhaps in recent years, perhaps due to certain uh social pressures, I think 
sustainability has become sort of a buzzword. Mm. Uh, going green, uh, being more ecological. Uh, so how do you um, differentiate? Let's say when a company uh, has... Okay, let's say when a company or an entity makes certain promises or certain statements mm. about being more ecological, about being mm. more environmental. How do you smell the bullshit? And what... How, how do you view that? Because... Logically speaking, a company exists to make money. And right, how, yes. how do you make the differentiation between what they are saying as true mm. and what they are saying as just marketing language? Mm. Yeah. I think it's very hard. Like, And also, most of the time, the people who are engaging you are very well-meaning. They are mm. really trying to do their best to, to you know, pick good initiatives and do things. So, I don't blame them for like reaching out or wanting to do good, but it's also, I have like clear rules of engagement where, you know, the companies that engage must have, let's say, this kind of commitment. Their oh. yeah, supply chains must be committed to this, this, this. And once you have that, I have no qualms endorsing certain things. But there's also like, I just put like an email, I don't know all this legally, I don't know what to do, right? But in saying that, you know, I also have the right to say, I no longer endorse it if something else comes up along the way yep. and I decide that it's a brand that I cannot stand by. Yep. So setting that kind of expectation on the basic like requirements to yep. engage with me and what I would do if you don't commit to it, it's how I get around that because I also don't think I will know 100% like yep. whether what you're doing is real. Yep. But if... I mean, the baseline is that I sort of can trust that more or less you're on your way there. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, I trust you unless until proven wrong. La. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, I've spoken to creators on previous episodes of the podcast, uh, specifically The Woke Salaryman. And I've spoken to them on two occasions. On the first occasion, they were... So, in case the listeners don't know, Woke Salaryman, they do comics or... Uh, visual articles about, I guess, personal finance, investment, and stuff like that. So, on the earlier occasion, they didn't uh, receive any sponsorship. So, they were just doing and just posting and everything. But on the second occasion, they made the shift towards doing more sponsorships. So, I'm curious to know, uh, yourself as a creator, do you feel that taking in uh, sponsorships or commerce, in a sense, do you think it dilutes the message or are you afraid that it might uh, turn away uh, people in regards to your community and people will just see it as a cash grab or whatever. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, <laughs> I think there is some level of dilution. And my fear was always that it will undermine some level of trust. Okay. Because then, you know... It turns it into an ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's tough because sometimes I see it as these are good things that I do want to help you promote, but I know that your intentions are not to, mm. like for the environment to go, unless it's with NGOs or organizations. That one is easier. It's yeah. more clear cut, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a mission. Yep. But there are certain brands where like, I know you're doing good, but how am I positioning it? And how will I talk talk about it? That that becomes a bit difficult. Mm. So I, I don't think I have a solution to that yet. I just try to stay away until I can figure out how can I do this without compromising on that I'm comfortable with? Mm. Not because they're not doing good, but it's rather I'm not prepared to take that kind of sponsorship yet. Very interesting. Yeah. So ultimately, it's it's something that you you personally have to be comfortable with, comfortable mm. putting out 
because ultimately it is it is it is a brand after all what what you what you've created as far yeah interesting yeah it's tough <laughs> <laughs> i i don't think it's easy to to remain authentic while trying to survive well i think it's difficult because yeah. the, the idea of commerce these days especially with regards to instagram profile it's it's getting very difficult to distinguish what is an ad or what is not an ad. Mm. E- even before, I think there were regulations where you actually had to put like an ad, like a hashtag ad, or this is an advertisement. Yeah. I think before that, it's 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 getting to a point where it's very 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 difficult to distinguish what is like personal preference or what is an ad because yeah. that is the one of the highest forms of advertising because it's like you are getting a recommendation from a friend, so it's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have friends who sort of. Use that as an opportunity to exp- so like let's say if this company has a certain product that is like recycled, they quite explicitly say like you know I haven't tried this, mm. I will try it out, but there are certain aspects of this that I wanted to explain, and then they use it to talk about recycling systems mm. or like plastic, and I thought that you know that kind of informational way using a product, it's an interesting. Ep- advertising skill I guess while at the same time not like hard endorsing like oh my god you need to try this so I thought that you know some ways of doing it does work better than others without compromising on like your your values I think going back to to, to what we talked about earlier it's perhaps allowing uh, the the people who are not within this particular circle like a way in yeah. Like if they follow this particular individual and this particular individual were to talk about uh, the environment via this particular product, I think that is a perfectly uh, viable way of how someone who might not be very, very conscious about this a way in into yeah. to joining the discussion. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see how it's evolving, but I can tell that like it takes a lot of work for someone to craft that kind of Definitely, angle. Definitely, yeah. Like to, like to even balance like what yeah, is what is yeah. authentic what is not authentic what is still commercial what is not commercial right because someone can just post and be like hi I received this mm. and this is all that like they asked me to say <laughs> like that's it <laughs> yeah. do you regard yourself as an influencer of sorts I feel like people just shy away from that the term, term. Uh, yeah because it almost like what is an influencer right? I feel that anyone with a social media presence you have your own circles of influence that yep. is undeniable. It's just that some people's circle of influence is like, you know, like more like more followers. I but think they call those cult leaders. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Essentially, <laughs> right. So then I, I just don't use that term because I stick to me being an activist. If it gains following, it gains following. If it doesn't, I'm still an, an activist. Mm. Yeah. So um with regards to uh the the research and the studies you've done, I'm curious to know if there has been something that surprised you. Like something mm. that you thought it was one way, but after delving deeper research and studying about it, mm. uh, it was surprising to find out that it was the other way. Has there been something like that? Yeah, like, um, so I did one where I explained this study done by NTU researchers mm. on plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who promotes like reusable bags, blah, 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 the, the study actually showed that in Singapore using single-use plastic bags were more environmentally friendly than like, your biodegradable bags. What are single-use plastic bags? So these are your supermarket bags where you use like one. So essentially like single-use um, where you dispose it after one use lah, in that sense. So that to me was surprising because as someone who has been environmentalist, it's always like no plastic bag, yep, don't use yep. that. But if study shows that it's environmentally friendly, then 
is that like have I been saying the wrong thing this so it's a, time? It's, 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 it's a counter narrative to the more common narrative that uh, single use plastics yeah. are actually bad okay. yes exactly yeah and then that led me down this rabbit hole of speaking to chemical engineers who are my friends to explain like what the heck is this science you know <laughs> like why, why is this saying this thing that I, did, I didn't think it was like yep. this and there were a lot of explanations on how the study was done, which led me to do like uh, another Instagram post explaining the study because headlines were saying, yeah, these supermarket plastic bags are fine. Don't even bring your own bag. People are making these assumptions. Yep. And I was like, this is an environmental movement. It's like unraveling, you yep. know, yep. because of like mainstream media and the way that it was reporting. Yep. I mean, it was not entirely therefore. It's technically correct. La. It just needed nuance. So, this whole research just led me down learning about plastic cycles, uh, disposal methods. And I was so surprised to be learning like so much from one headline yep. that came up yep. that I had to seek like a non-environmentalist help to explain. Yep. I was like, okay, you know, I I should have my views challenged a, a bit more mm. because it led me down like interesting rabbit holes. So what was the conclusion of that? I think the conclusion was essentially that Singapore just does not have the right facilities for certain like biodegradable options. Mm. So once you have those facilities, then something becomes more environmentally friendly, mm. which means that, you know, instead of incinerating and burning the plastic, yep. you are like putting it back into the soil. But because you don't have that thing to put it back into the soil, it's not friendly. Ah, yeah. Okay, okay, or okay, like okay. some people say that if you reuse the bag, like, three or four times, it makes it better than one time and throw away. Yep. Then I was like, oh, okay, there are so many puzzles to like figuring this out. Yep. And essentially it's just, okay, like, you, you try your best, realize this doesn't work, then you stop it. Law. You do something <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for me, it was, the learning was, um, how environmentally friendly something is will change over time depending on how you use it, where it comes from, yep. and how you get rid of it rather than yes or no. I, th I think in, in, in listening to what you just said, uh, two things struck out. I think media has never been known for nuance. I think it's always <laughs> been known, especially recently, for sensationalizing things and headlines. Mm. And I think to the second point of what you just said, it's also important to recognize like this talk and the discussion about climate change is ever evolving yeah. because of how technology evolves. You mentioned something that's very interesting. Like As of right now, because we do not have the adequate facilities, it is better to use this or better to do that. Mm -hmm. But when that facility comes up, then perhaps the other way is better. Yeah. So it's not as fixed as people would like to think. As, yeah. So yeah. it's not like you, you don't use straws and you only use I don't know, use the, the metal one. Perhaps in the future, something might change. Yeah, then correct. Yeah, I think I think that 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 is very interesting to consider because I think people will like easy answers. People like the not not easy answers, but they like a, a definite answer mm. because it gives them a bit of security. Because as I said, the, the problem is so vast, and if people were to know, like, oh, you just use metal straws for the rest of your life, I think that that would sell <laughs> the idea a lot more. But who knows? Perhaps in the 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 next two or three years, there might be a better invention coming out because of innovation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was also why I started the page or that was it became one of the driving motivations, which mm. is that talking about sustainability is not like 10 things you can do for climate change. It's not a you, definite list. Yeah, there's no definite list and there is no point simplifying the problem. I'm just acknowledging that it's freaking difficult. <laughs> it's very big, yep. but okay, la, then you learn along the way and 
I, I, the, in that post about imperfect environmentalists was that in the past, I thought that biodegradable plastics were the answer. But two years later, I realized that yeah, that's, that's bullshit for now, mm, for now. Yeah. And it's not to undermine my past work or what people have been saying. It's just that things change and like, why not embrace that it's complex yeah. and be less afraid of the complexity? Because yeah. simplifying it just creates more problems, I mm. feel. Yeah. Because when you simplify things, you lose a lot of the nuance. You lose just a lot of the little, little uh, things that, that, that contribute to this particular issue. And you just get one sentence. And things yeah. in reality usually, is, usually isn't just one sentence. Yeah, either precisely. Or. Yeah. yeah. So we're in Singapore right now. So I just want to know from your perspective, is Singapore doing enough? Because I think recently, uh, I was just on YouTube yesterday, uh, Singapore climate change. And there seems to be a lot of uh, push or a lot of uh, good good ideas or good intentions towards towards pushing Singapore to be more environmentally friendly. But from your perspective, is Singapore doing enough? I feel like for people in the climate change space, it's the answer will, I mean, even not just Singapore, like anybody, even personally, we're, we're not doing enough. The problem hasn't been solved, hence we're okay. not doing enough. Yep. And I think it's important to recognize like intention, mm. but also realize that sometimes intention is also not enough. Mm. But we just have to be constantly pushing for new ideas, for bolder action. And it's also hard to determine like how much is enough there's mm. no real end goal. Precisely. I was yeah. just going to ask you, what, what what does enough look like to you? Yeah. And I, okay, maybe it's just a lack of visioning, but I don't know what that leads to or like what that looks like. Utopia? No utopia. utopia. <laughs> I don't even know what, the, what does a green utopia look like, right? Mm. Yeah. But I feel like because the climate is so dynamic, things change. What could be utopia in one year could look very different for different people living in that utopia. Yep. So to me, it's just constantly working to plug gaps where we see gaps and push for more where there isn't. So things like, you know, where there was a lot of rain for a period of time. Some people say, oh, cool weather, it's fantastic. But then you also have people really suffering from mm. like joint issues because of cold weather yep. or, you know, accessibility issues because everything is slippery yep. or like the homeless and this is something that even if we have the best drainage system, et cetera, et cetera, problems don't really go away. Mm. And in trying to fight for that utopia, there will always be something that will go wrong. So it's just constantly building that stamina to, yeah. to make things right when they don't go right. Stamina is interesting because stamina kind of gives the impression that it's not a sprint. You don't just yeah. do five things, you call it a day, you move on to something else because this is an ongoing... Uh, marathon really yeah yeah and eventually it might reach a state where some people are living in like better climate conditions than others but yep. then the pro new problems will arise mm. so yeah the, we will constantly never be doing enough yep. as like people as communities as countries yep. yeah it's just constantly learning and relearning and then fixing whatever that doesn't go right so also I, I, I have two tangents to, to, to build this particular point um, in in thinking or saying that we'll never be doing enough, I think that's totally valid. And I think that's fair, uh, a fair mm. judgment to make. But do you think it is a bit nihilistic to, 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 to think of it that way? Because if the, the problem <laughs> is so insurmountable, if the problem isn't affecting me, or if the problem is to be felt 
three decades into the future, how does one feel um, uh, initiative to to even yeah. start thinking? Because I, I think I I personally feel that as a species, we are we we lack nuance in thinking, and we are highly individualistic, and we lack a bit of foresight, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 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 thinking about all these things, how? It's, it's very difficult to to plan about something 10, 20 years in the future because a lot of these things, are people are warning about what might happen in the future and the mm. word future kind of predicates that it might not, I might not even live enough of to, to, to see it. So it might yeah. not affect me as an individual. Yeah. yeah. I think it is nihilistic. I think there's been points of frustration where I'm just like, what's the point? Like, why bother so mm. much? Get into all this kind of trouble to do all these things. But then it I, I feel like it just boils down to belief where to me it's if I can do something about it, I'm just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And pray that, you know, it's gonna <laughs> be good. Okay. And I remember talking to some people in the community at some conference and they were saying that in the fight for like climate action or progress, you cannot have hope but you must have faith that whatever that you're doing will reap some good to some people or to some communities. Where does the difference lie between the two, hope and faith? Yeah, I think hope, sort of, you expect good things to come out. Ex- okay, you uh, have an expectation, there's an expectation of, good things. of good things. Faith, it's really just a trust in the process, a trust in what you're doing in the movement to say that we're constantly trying to push for some good, but we might not get that good Mm. Now we might get it later, but you trust that we will get there somewhere else. Some, yeah, you will get somewhere. So, <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Whereas hope, you have expectation of like, oh my god, it's gonna get better. But when it never gets better, then it doesn't drive you anymore. And it, conversely, it might demotivate you because you're expecting yeah. something to good in X number of years, but yeah. when the time comes, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Then yeah, I don't think we have been a particularly patient species. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Patience is not <laughs> is not a virtue to to us. Yeah. and then people will say like, "There's no hope, blah. There's no hope." Yeah, there isn't. I mean, honestly, I can't see what that what being hopeful about a better future looks like. But you know, I have faith that we will figure it out. Do you feel okay? Hypothetically speaking, yeah, I think one of the reasons uh why perhaps. There is a bit of a stalemate with regards to, let's say, conceptualizing the problem. Do you think it's because it is invisible? It is invisible in a sense that it is not, okay, it's not an immediate threat, like, let's say, war. It's like an invasion coming. You can see it, but it is invisible in a sense. Yes, you feel it, but with regards to feeling things, things change all the time. So yeah. you, you don't see the immediate threat. That's why you can't conceptualize of, oh, this is something that we need to fix now. Because mm. you can imagine if the, the sidewalk starts getting burned because of, of, of the fucking sun, people will be like, fuck, this is a problem. <laughs> same, I, I think the same thing can be said for, let's say, COVID as well. It is invisible. That's yeah. why people don't see. If COVID, we can see COVID and it's like a pink mist, that's right, people would would be more uh, uh, more open to, to taking precautions. But yeah. because these things are invisible and uh-huh. when it's invisible, it's easy to to, to brush it off. It's easy mm. to, to treat it as, oh, Maybe it affect you, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Purely because it's invisible. We don't see it. I mean, we are visual creatures to a certain degree. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's because of that? Like if the, the, the issue was a lot, a lot more apparent, perhaps mm. the conversation would be different. But, yeah. but but let's say in conceptualizing that, if it's too fucking apparent, then no really, no really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's this term that 
I, I don't know, some scholar used that. It's called hyper objects. So they said that climate or at least climate change is an issue that's like a hyper object where it's very big in scale and it spans different temporalities. Mm. It can happen, you know, whatever that we are seeing now could have been a result of something that happened 10, 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah, and because of that, human beings just cannot conceptualize yep. that this is an issue. Like you said, right, immediate, there's no immediacy. And I think that that's what or at least activists or environmentalists do, which is we pick up signs because of that sensitivity, right? So like heavy rains, people will say, ah, yeah, you know, this could be just a random occurrence of like monsoon, whatever. To some extent, yes, but there is also some element of climate change that we sort of have to say like, hello, um, this rain is not natural, you <laughs> yep, know? Yep. And like this flooding is not natural. I've never seen Ulu Pandan flood to this extent mm, before. So mm. it's about making that visible as activists to, to like shout about, oh my God, there is, this is an issue. Or like there was a drought in Singapore a few years ago and we were saying that this is not normal. Mm. So I think that's the job of, or at least that's the job of people uh, to make the invisible visible, especially if it's an issue that will hurt some some people in our communities. Yep. So to me, rain wasn't like, the impact of rain on homeless people were, wasn't very apparent and I didn't see how climate change will affect, you know, like homeless people. But when somebody pointed it out to me, I was like, oh my God, like, this is a very big problem mm -hmm. to solve. And I remember reading a, a, a newspaper article about Japan where there was flooding and landslides. Yep. And because they have an aging population, yep. right? They said that the elderly can't run away from like, they can't evacuate certain yep. homes. Yep. So they get impacted in that way. And I was like, okay, yeah, if the problem is huge and I wouldn't think of the elderly like in terms yep. of like landslides, but someone made it so visible and so real to me. And if enough people are doing that, maybe it would spur like something in different people to want to work on that issue. Yep. And yeah, but by then also a bit too late. You know? <laughs> the problem already happened, but I feel yeah. like we have to react in that way or like catch momentums where there's a chance for you to do something, even if it's a problem that you have to take advantage of, you know. So it's a bit like reading the tea leaves, basically. Like you you are you're reading the signs that even though uh, you have the history, we have a lot of data these days, yeah. and I think data will be a lot more important in the sense of not forecasting, but predicting what might happen. Perhaps predicting things with a higher probability, like this might happen, uh, we better take precautions now, like five years into the future. Mm. If there's going to be, uh, I think the uh, video I watched was how, uh, I think because, I think is it rain or because flooding, it will increase uh, in certain, certain CMs or stuff like that. And I think the worst case scenario, it's like a one in 20 probability they will reach 2.5 meter yeah. height. I think one in 20 is a very, very high probability. <laughs> I do not want to make that roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, it's like, you know, if your finance bros on the stock market are doing this kind of predictions and taking action, I'm like, technically, this is the same kind of gamble that you are doing mm. with climate change, right? So, you know, to people investing in stocks, you know, this is something <laughs> that you can think of. <laughs> yeah. So why, why do you think we are more inclined to to take in data, uh, let's say for stocks. We, we will compare stocks and let's say climate change. We're more inclined to take in data and to accept data with regards to financial projections and business. Like that. But when it comes to science or when it comes to, let's say, climate change, we are more hesitant to it. Why do you think that is? Capitalism. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean not, not entirely, but... I feel like because you, I mean, with stocks and finance, right? Um, money is very material. It's very, it's so 
visible in our everyday life. Like everything that you buy, mm. you 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 sort of have to use my mm. money. Getting here on a bus also required like some money. Unfortunately. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, money is a lot more visible to you than say the weather or your food and how like the rains affected yep. your your produce yep. because supply chains are invisible. It is. Yeah. So in that sense, I feel like we care about business and finance more just because it's more present in our daily lives than something like science where we sort of take for granted because technically we do not pay for good weather. We do not pay for certain things. Whereas you have to pay for like water yep, or yep, food. Yep. Hence, I always see it as you never see the real benefits because you never had to like slog for it in mm, some sense. So in a sense, one could imagine the individual being in a bubble. Yeah, yeah. And I have a friend who does volunteer, uh, at least she runs a farm in Thailand and mm. she always talked about how you never truly understand the value of food until you start growing it for yourself. Mm. And my mom started growing, we have a papaya tree at home and one papaya takes like three to four months to like fully mature. Okay, it was just by chance. We just ha- It just happened to be outside. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> what do you do to get a papaya tree? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it made me realize that, I mean, as someone who eat eat fruits like sometimes I do waste fruit having to like grow the thing I better not waste that freaking papaya you know because I knew how much effort went into doing these things so like I feel that people know like how much effort goes into building a business doing all these things Mm. so that impact is more obvious than food that you buy for three dollars and you didn't even know who worked for it yeah so so in, in, in conceptualizing these intangible invisible impacts do you think because of how uh, anyone can pull up a video on YouTube and watch uh, perhaps someone do like a mini documentary about uh, supply chains and mm. how food is grown. Do you think that would aid in a conversation uh, about these particular things? Because mm. before the internet, before these things, you have to... Most of these things are mostly invisible. Mm. Yes, you can have your farmer. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the conversation would be Back then, things were a lot more apparent. But yeah. somewhere along the lines when uh, you are not actually growing your own food, you tend to get a little bit complacent. I think that is byproduct of, of just society developing. Yeah. But do you think with uh, the internet and our YouTube, Vimeo and stuff like that, and it's so easy to get information now, do you think there will be a shift back to being a lot more uh, considerate mm-hmm. with regards to, let's say, food, for example? Yeah. I so I think in psychology there's this thing called like the knowledge action gap where once you know about something you will take action right mm. but to me is just because I know about climate change doesn't mean I'm going to like do something yep. about it and the part about growing food I can watch like YouTube and I can be more cognizant of the issue but without actually growing the food myself right there's no real connection to the topic. Mm. And I also see that with, so I mean, last year in June, during the monsoon season, uh, my friend Sam from Seastainable, she runs this company called Seastainable. They, she did some random like beach cleanup at East Coast Park by herself. Mm. Wow. And yeah, so she started doing it very regularly and the community grew to like 2,000 people wanting to just join her on her like beach cleanup. That's incredible. Yeah, and... I mean, not 2,000 people gathering at East Coast. Like, it was like people just joining the group to learn how can they do it themselves yep. and then they go do it. And it made me realize how much more people cared about the issues of plastic because they were collecting plastic on the beach yep. and seeing how much was coming in, exactly what were the things that were being collected, styrofoam breaking up. Yep. And then it became very visceral to be like, oh my God, this plastic issue is real. Mm. 
And I think you still need that very visceral connection to the topic in order for you to care, which videos can do to a certain extent. Like, I mean, Seaspiracy is a Netflix documentary that got a lot of hype and people like stop eating seafood and stuff. But if you're not actually going to like fish farms and seeing how things are reared, it's very mm-hmm. difficult for you to internalize what actually needs to be done. Yeah. So I feel like you, people still need to go out on the ground and get things done. Maybe not all the time, just yep. once in a while to remind yourself that, okay, la, I can watch all these things, but <laughs> there are real things that, that, yeah. that exist. Because yeah. I, I think perhaps that viewing things through a screen is very different from actually experiencing it. Yeah. And I think the, the I guess one of the ways, I think I remember people talking about how uh, they show the cruelty with regards to let's say certain animals, how they are reared. I think that, I think that that is one particular way, like the shock tactic of it, yeah. because it's so apparent. Like you, you, like because food is so accessible these days. You go to the market. I can have ninety nine percent guarantee that the chicken thigh that I want is in the market. I don't have to worry about, or perhaps they're out of stock because we haven't really faced that that idea of there is a, a month shortage of like meat. So, yeah, perhaps. Do you, do you think it's, it, do you think only when things have become things things have became more apparent then yeah. we will perhaps change our ways <laughs> yeah yeah it got me very interested in thinking like what would change someone's mind about something right and I you know there's this experiment that I've always wanted to do which is that so I have family members who are very big meat eaters right and then they're like okay I can watch all these things about like cowspiracy where they talk about the harms of beef blah 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 yeah. But there's a dissonance when you still see that stick on your table and you eat it yeah. because you 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 just block it out of your yeah, mind, yeah, right? Yeah. Then I think people are like, yeah, but going plant-based, the food is just not very nice. Yep. And what I did uh, in school was this experiment where I just, I used to bake a lot. So I would bring baked goods. And one time I decided to bake from, from completely plant-based stuff. And I just brought it to school. So it's like no eggs, uh, sorry, no eggs, no dairy, or vegan, vegan brownies and things like that. Okay, go on. <laughs> and this was sparked because a friend was like, oh, I asked a friend, like, would you take vegan brownies? And he was like, no lah, I can taste the no egg. And I'm like, what the heck do you mean by I can taste the no egg? <laughs> so I did this experiment where I just bring stuff to school and I'll be like sharing people yep. and I was like, oh, what do you think? They're like, oh, very nice, very nice. This is brownies, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And after the whole month, I'll be like, haha, <laughs> there are no eggs and you did not tell the difference. And then they realize, okay, you know, that changed their mind on what does vegan really mean because yep. you think that you miss the egg, but you really don't lah. So the shock factor does make sense, but I, I still feel that 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 direct interaction with something that you've always had a misconception about still needs to be there. So even if it means like bringing someone to like a slaughterhouse. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and then be like, okay, then, you know, like eat the meat after that. Then at least you appreciate the process, the, the very real things. And okay, I mean, if you still eat the meat, sure. I think yep. some people can actually. Yep. And it's still important uh, to, to interact in that way. Mm. But it's made difficult because of like globalized supply chains. Yep. Yep. Maybe VR, AR can like do something about this. <laughs> do you think technology like that would be helpful in providing a more tangible sense of the immediate danger. Because imagine if there's this VR installation or game and it shows the fucking world on fire and stuff like that. I would imagine that would shock a lot more people Mm. than just talking about it. Because things get lost in translation with regards to words. Yes, you can show a picture, but it is still through a screen. But I think there have been recent improvements with regards to the virtual reality and the rate that's improving that 
it's being used for a lot of real world applications like uh, training, mm. uh, let's say for for doctors, for the military. Mm. That is like the technology is improving. Yeah, I, I I could foresee that being like a like another tool to to let people experience or even know like what what are the more direct implications because if yeah. if the issue is that people don't see it and people don't hear it and people don't feel oh 20 years down the road i mean that mm. that that's a tall order yeah. but if you have this tool that can let them just get a sense of the immediate panic and danger i think that would be a lot more effective than reading like uh, five page thesis about it yeah 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 which is why i see like movies uh digital media being very important because there are those like possibilities mm. and i think fear and shock is one way but there's also i guess more gentler ways where you can nurture like just interest fascination and appreciation like documentaries especially mm. if you're reading about like singapore's nature or whatever mm. building that keen sense of oh my god, now I care about this, or oh my god, I'm afraid of this. Both can help in many ways, and digital media can be a facilitator mm. for that. Of course, nothing beats going out there. <laughs> I mean, I always say this, but it helps where you cannot access like the things out there, especially mm. if it's protected or things like that. Like I would love to sit through a freaking like safari in some place. And, and there's just, no animals. Yeah. <laughs> precisely. Or you like walk me through the Amazon forest and I don't actually have to go in there bashing through the, the trees myself. I would love that. Yep. Yeah, I think I think Singapore is particularly interesting because, um, I've always felt that our ecology or our our greenery is particularly man-made because mm. of the fact that we have to urbanize so much. And I guess somewhere along the way, we realized that hey, perhaps we're losing a little bit of the greenery, and we try to put it back. But unfortunately, building a HDB and building a, a dense forest takes a ridiculous amount of time for regards to the forest because yeah. the forest goes by decades, but building any building goes by years. I think there's a, a generational gap right there. And I think with recent memory, there are a lot of cause for concern with regards to the loss of ecology, the loss of certain uh, patches of forest with mm -hmm. regards to certain areas in Singapore. How how do you see this playing out in the near future? Like, Do you see us striking a very good sense of balance with regards to... Uh, being more like Singapore in general, being more mm. cognizant of its role with regards to the neighboring countries and its mm. role and the citizens' role to be more environmentally friendly while keeping the ecology. Because I've I've, I've spoken to 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 various entomologists and people on the podcast about how, uh, let's say if you destroy a patch of land or a patch of uh forests, yes, the you can see the mammals and everything, the loss of ecology there, but. You don't see the insects, and the insects mm. they they play a very very pivotal role with regards to the the circle of life. Yeah. And if you lose one, let's say one particular insect, it might have diverse effects on like this particular mammal who feeds on this. And you lose these two species. And apparently in Singapore, there are certain species that can only be found here: certain species of insects, certain species of mammals, crabs, whatever. And these are the things that people don't see. Or people don't know because yeah. yes, mammals cute, whatever. But the insects, like you can walk past a patch of grass and you don't even see anything because <laughs> they're invisible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like the idea of balance is very difficult to to talk about because ultimately someone makes or I guess some group makes that decision, right? Mm. And whenever we have to compromise on like 
either development or greenery. Some people say that you can have both. Mm. Some people disagree that you can mm-hmm. have both. But I, I mean, I stand on the side where I disagree is mainly because you have to give up something mm. and ultimately the end goal of, okay, you you can claim that, you know, we've considered this trade-off, that trade-off, and this is the balance. Your balance still prioritizes certain things. Like sure. you might prioritize, let's say, uh, safety of certain like infrastructure or proximity to mm. certain things. Yep. Like if I want my house built next to like a waterfront and you prioritize that, and then you say that, oh no, because of that, we reached a balance. <laughs> is, that, is that really balance, you sure. know? So to me, it's it's hard when people throw that word around because ultimately balance depends on who's making the decision, uh, what priorities were considered yep. in this balance yep. and which priority took precedence over yep. the other in order to safely say that you really consider everything, which is why I sort of see the role of civil society as we can be very single issue in pushing environment but it helps you make that balance a bit more fair because mm. your priorities might be completely different from somebody else and maybe say someone living near construction site might say no you know this is actually very noisy or whatever yep. so with all these contesting views the balance becomes more fair because you get equal power shifting on yep. on both ends yep. but it still lies ultimately to your decision maker on mm-hmm. what you want to do la. so I see Singapore as as we progress, hopefully the role of civil society is seen as more important so that in the decisions we make, we have a every every factor or every voice <coughs> sort of has like fair play, like given a fair chance to So there's a lot more consideration to the different topics. Yeah. And it's never an easy decision to make. Yep. Yeah. So hopefully So on that front, um has has Singapore done anything that you feel that it's ultimately beneficial? Or have they announced that they wanted to do something that you, you deem as beneficial? That I deem as... Ooh. Or is something... Or is everything like <laughs> terrible? <laughs> I don't think everything is terrible. I just cannot pinpoint like a certain thing. Because I feel okay. like ultimately intentions are great in that we are trying to really do our best within circumstances. How we are doing it is up to individuals' interpretation of what's good or bad. Mm. And there have been initiatives where I particularly really like, which is there's this thing called the ABC, uh, Active Beautiful Clean Water. Oh, that, that, that is how I know it's a Singaporean. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And I really liked it because essentially they were taking drains mm. and then trying to say like, is there another way that we can redesign this drain? So a good example is Bishan Park. If you have been to Bishan Park. What about Bishan Park? So it used to be just a concrete drain where, you know, flood, whatever management. But they turned it into a waterway surrounded by greenery, grass. It became a whole ecosystem on its own. It's still man-made. It's still a park. But essentially, your flood management is natural. Mm-hmm. Active, beautiful, clean, whatever. <laughs> la. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that sense, it was such an innovative way to look at creating your canals la. they were not just concrete but they had I don't know all sorts of like trees that were preventing it and it was sloped in a way that if it floods okay it will flood to a certain slope uh, and then it will drain off on its own naturally yep, yep, yep. so when it does drain off the area is for play is for recreation mm-hmm. rather than like your longkang then you cannot really do much with it so I thought that that was like brilliant mm-hmm. and that's such a good way to reinvent or not reinvent or like to look at problem solving from 
a more holistic or yep. natural yep. lens. So that I really like. Because I would imagine most of these infrastructure were created at a time where uh, it had to be done that way because yeah. of uh, certain problems. Uh, perhaps climate change wasn't that big of an issue back then. Uh, Singapore was still developing. So mm. all of these key infrastructures, I think it's good that we're, we're, we're looking at these and to mm. see what would fit in the modern day. I can imagine 20 years later, if we do get to 20 years later, <laughs> we will have to look at this infrastructure again and to see um, mm. what can change because things are things will be different 20 years later. Yeah. So the, the idea of uh, constantly evaluating that, no, this isn't just the way it is, but to mm. relook at... Uh, what we can change, really. Yeah, and we have to be very willing to tell ourselves that, okay, what we thought was right is now wrong. Which I feel that it's a hard thing for anybody to mm. to, to take that kind of criticism la, because good intentions and all, you know. But if it's wrong, okay, let's be quick to to, to change the direction that we're taking. Has, has, has that happened to you before that you had to uh, rethink your perspective on certain things? You mentioned about the plastic uh, yeah. bag thing before, but... Uh, has there been another example? I think more recent examples will be they talk about green recovery, green transition. Essentially, they want countries out of COVID, they want to recover or transit to a greener economic model or society, right? And to me, that was like, okay, great, you know, if we can be more eco-friendly out of this crisis. Why not? Yeah. Why not, right? But it also was made more apparent especially this time where there was a petrol fuel hike and I think mm. it got a lot of attention in Singapore because the fuel hike was intended for uh, electric vehicles right and then you know to me it was okay electric vehicles that, that that's a, that's a, like sounds great but people were saying like oh I heard like taxi drivers say some things or mm. um, you know my friends and family who drive will say like hey actually you know was this really um is this something that you advocate for? Because it's technically EV, right? Yep. And it made me question like, okay, what, what am I fighting for? Like, um, is this something that I would be pushing? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, it became very difficult because it it now showed me that policy, or not just policy, any initiative has its implications mm. to different people. Yep. And even like the plastic straw thing, right? At first I thought it was like a fantastic thing, but mm. some people are saying that it has accessibility issues where some demographics who might be, you know, who might have certain impairments yep. would actually need the straw because it's soft, mm. uh, it's easy, and they cannot drink directly from the cup. Yep. So I guess anything related to the environment and how it impacts people has made me change my stance a lot on like, okay, then... How now? I don't mm. know, but... You, you need yeah. to have a policy with like 20 pages of disclaimers because the fact of the matter is that people are... Uh, people are interesting. People are individuals and there are, there's a diverse range of individuals in Singapore. You, yeah. you And I, I think the axiom rings true as well. You don't know what you don't know because yeah, you yeah. can put something out then until someone speaks about it. Then you have, then you can be made aware of, hey, this has certain implications, uh, to this particular individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, I speak in like personal capacity, right? Like I, I sometimes just don't realize that it might hurt people a certain way because mm. it's not my lived reality, mm. for example. So, I feel like I'm always constantly changing my mind on things, but that reflexivity is tiring. But I think it it's what's needed. La. I think it, that's human. Yeah, yeah, precisely, right? And I feel that knowing these things help me go about my 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 work more carefully because yeah. then I'm like, okay, what perspective am I missing? Mm. And am I ready to receive that that kind of critique? Yeah. And if yes, then okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn. Yeah. 
So in your exploration with regards to things relating to climate and environment, have you encountered other social issues, let's say in Singapore, that you feel particularly strongly about? Yeah, I think gender equality was a very big one. Mm. And so there's this phrase that says like, you know, climate justice or social justice is climate justice, which essentially just suggests that, you know, there are other social issues that invariably find itself like mixed around with like climate change issues. So like climate mm. change may exacerbate certain social issues like uh, poverty, like homelessness. Mm. So naturally, I think you sort of care about, about those issues because you see how your environmental sphere makes those issues even worse. Mm. Or even like on like females, right? Or I guess not just females, like even migrant workers, you can see how heat is yep. going to, impact their work and there needs to be protections on like heat injury and things like that. So naturally you sort of like care about (laughs) other social issues that get implicated lah. Yeah. How how do you find the the empathy and the the compassion to care about (laughs) these different things? Because caring about the environment is a a, a task on its own. Mm. But let's say talking about uh, gender equality and let's say talking about uh, the migrant workers and stuff like that. These are all big topics to, yeah. to, to care about how do you find the compassion to <laughs> to even have the, the the empathy to care about these three separate uh, separate but also separate issues yeah I feel like people generally care about different things to different degrees mm. so there is space to care about everything but you might not have the time or the energy to do something about everything so I think in terms of care it's like infinite to, to okay. some extent in okay. it, it's just how much you're willing to you want to invest in it and I don't see myself as being able to commit to like fighting for gender equality like all the time or researching like um, other social issues I stick very close to mm. environmental issues but if I know that other people are doing good work I try to highlight like yep. hey you know these people are, are, are doing even more than I am mm. so it's spreading the workload and ensuring that it's a community that helps each other in yep. different strengths and to see yourself not as like a catch-all of everything mm. but you work within I mean other people have their own like I guess learnings their own experiences yeah why not just collaborate and yep. learn from them rather yep. than try to do it all by yourself yep. yeah so in, in, in talking about gender equality um, what have you found out that uh, that is shocking to you um, I guess specifically on climate or at least like gender and how climate intermix, yep. um, what shocks me is how much like women are disproportionately affected by climate change or climatic changes mm. also. So not just, I mean, Singapore is not very clear, but in Southeast Asia, women who are more involved in like agriculture were of course be affected by climatic changes. Yep. And there has also been research showing that domestic or like violence on women will get increasingly stronger because they are put in very disempowered um, positions Mm. in terms of like, you know, when you do farming or agriculture, they don't always own the land and they are subjected to a lot of other forces. Mm. So when things like climate change affects their pay, they of course bear the brunt of most of it. Mm. And also in terms of like microplastics, uh, these are like microplastics are just very, very small plastic pieces that, disintegrate in the water and end up in like your water system. So more invisible things. <laughs> more invisible things, right? Yeah. Okay. And that does affect like uh, fertility and mm. your future, like the, the infants. Oh, yikes. Yeah. So I've seen how, I guess that affects women a lot stronger also because then the female's body absorbs the toxins. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess that's what shocked me in like how fighting for gender e- equality does come into play when it comes to climate change because there there are some links to be made. So my God, I was like, so many things. <laughs> so in a sense, we're fucked her. So in a sense yeah. for so in a sense for the past forty years we're just running an experiment uh, and we'll only see the results twenty years later. Alright, so see there's no point having hope, just have faith. <laughs> so are you hopeful of the future or do you think we are facing a reckoning? Oh my god. I think we are facing a reckoning. Okay. But I I mean I feel like we can adapt. It's just how how we're gonna do it. I mean if there's a zombie apocalypse come, yeah, we sure we can yeah. adapt. But that's a reckoning. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. So I'm like, all these heat waves, I don't know how us as human bodies going to deal with heat, but we'll we'll find a way. Lah. Very interesting. I guess in closing, I just would like to ask, um what does success in this particular space mm. or what, or conversely, what does real progress look like to you in the space of climate change? Perhaps uh, in the next two, three or even five years, what does that look like? Yeah. For, okay, at this point, at least to yep. me, it's scale because I don't think we, as much as it's in the mainstream, I don't feel like there's enough people really talking or thinking about the issue. So if more and more people are coming onto social media to talk about climate change, to me, that's success, you know, more and more people willing to volunteer their time with organizations mm. or even internally in their companies fight for environmental mm. policies. That kind of action to me is enough because once you get started, it's it's like a flywheel. You don't you don't stop. It's it's very hard for you to stop. Yeah. So hopefully building that momentum and getting to I guess even like two, three, five times the kind of number of people talking about it is success to me. I hear TikTok is very popular with the younger people to talk about social issues. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know how to use TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have, to, you have to talk to someone younger than you and yeah. person to teach you. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. There are too many social media pages. Hopefully, it, someone there is doing that kind mm, of work. Mm. Yeah. So, um, where can people tune into the, your work? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. So, on The Weird and Wild, that's where... People. I'm very active on my DMs, unfortunately. I spend too much time on my phone. But there or like LinkedIn, I am quite active. Yeah. So yeah, I can find But the interactions there. you get on your page are quite... It seems very personal to me because mm. it's someone's uh, like either really encouraged by your post mm. Or they are they are they are, they are open enough to clarify certain like uh, misconceptions they have. Like it's a very like it feels like a very open <laughs> open discussion. Which yeah, is cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, but that's with social media, right? Because not always. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen worse. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I haven't gotten the worst of it yet, or rather, you know, it's a manageable space for now. And I really appreciate the kind of like encouragement or clarifications that I get or interactions that I do get. Because sometimes I've gotten like very nasty things, but shrug it off. Yeah, shrug it off. Or if it's really very, very harmful and it's not constructive, like feel free to delete it. I don't think there's anything wrong with deleting it. And like protecting the safety of your space for yourself and whoever sees it is important. So I feel like there are ways to manage that kind, but Okay la, it's a it's a very nice dynamic space to be in. I think I'm 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 most interested to find out the psychological and mental impacts of social media in the next five years. Yes. Yeah, oh my to see God. What, what that 
that is that is the the experiment we've been running uh, to see how <laughs> how how things will play out in the next five years. <laughs> Do you think it will go away? Um, All I right. think social the the idea of social media won't go away. Okay, I think the platforms would be less favored. So let's say if uh, I, I I call them legacy uh, media. So right. uh, Facebook, Instagram, I think are being less favored now for more popular ones. Mm. I think it seems more like a. A, a trending, but I think the idea of people wanting to express their own opinions without having anybody tell them otherwise, I think that's always going to stay. Right. And the technology will just adapt to it. Lah. But I think it's, hmm. it's also interesting how, uh, in a sense, capitalism and the favorable, uh, closing up to that with regards to the algorithms and stuff like that's also affecting how the type of content that people put out. That's true. Yeah, because of how, let's say, TikTok, yes, people are talking about it, but what can you really get out of a 30-second clip? Yeah. And yes, you can go to their profile, you can see more, but if if that is, uh, if, if, if an entire generation of people is being exposed to that level of attention, I think that's not going to bode well into the future because okay. I think, as I say, it's, it's, it's an experiment. And these are the things that are created by um, private companies with uh, investors and stuff like that. And it's a bit complex in that sense because <clears throat> growing up in school, you used to get everything state-sanctioned everything. So there's a little bit more oversight in a sense. But right now, people are just jumping onto new platforms and you don't know the psychological impact. I think True. nobody knows. Yes, they're trying to figure it out. And now they're saying that social media is bad. But a little bit too later. <laughs> Perhaps people could say that, oh yeah, you're, you're just being alarmist. Fair enough. Because yeah. people say the same thing about TV and stuff like that. But I think people have to realize that everything is just a tool. If yes. you don't realize that it's a tool, then you're the tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And I feel like, I mean, I mean, perhaps the last point, I just want to ask you, like, as like a content creator, you know, with TYC and things like that, do you also see the pressure to want to get on different platforms? Like, because, you know, platforms come and go. Like, Twitter used yep. to die around, <clears> then <throat> it came back. Yep. But, you know, how how does one keep the attention of people, especially if they're talking about important issues, you know? How, how do you see that? I don't find what we're doing to be particularly important in the grander scheme of things. But to answer your question, I think... As, okay, so in conceptualizing that question, we have to look at ourselves as uh, as a business and as creators. So as a mm. business, <clears throat> we have to be cognizant of uh, what the industry is moving towards. So let's say the talk about uh, non-fungible tokens. I think, yes, that to me, uh, that is the next step out from Instagram because I think the problem, the Instagram, to, to me, Instagram displays a lot of portfolios as to how people, let, let's say in the creative industry, people used to uh, hand print their portfolios and send to people. Instagram, the websites displays that. Instagram will displace uh, website portfolios. And now this NFT thing will displace Instagram because Instagram was a bit slow to adapt. Right. They could have easily uh, implemented like a tip function to it, but they were slow to adapt. So, <clears throat> but with regards to that, there are certain environmental impacts. Unfortunately, right now, the technology is keeping up. I, I think that technology is here to stay. But to answer your question, I think we have to be, as a business, we have to be cognizant of what other people are doing, unfortunately. But as a creator, we can try to be as authentic as possible. Like, I think the, the, the motto at TYC is always to, we want to create what we want to see. I think, I think mm. that is what has been, uh, our, our guiding style, like, because it's very easy to, to, 
to lean too far into the commerce, like a commercial side, like what clients want. Yeah. But ultimately, we have to remember why why we came together to do that, which is to create what isn't in Singapore and to push that 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 particular bar. Yeah. Okay. But in the grand scheme of things, if the sun were to fall tomorrow, I mean, designers are not very important. <laughs> there are people fighting bigger fights out there, but we do what we can to 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 inspire. That's all. Mm. Oh, that that's a very nice motto to live by at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh the weird and the wild on Instagram and yeah. LinkedIn. On Okay, you know what? Let's just stick to Instagram. It's easier. Yeah, the weird and wild is on Instagram. Instagram, maybe TikTok. <laughs> oh, TikTok. <laughs> All right, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.